channel open. Welcome back to Weekly Trek, a proud member of the Tricolor Transmissions podcast network. I am your host, Alex Perry. What's today's date? The date. Today's show was recorded on May 31st, 2019, and is current through the end of Star Trek Discovery Season 2. So beware of spoilers. All right, let's get into the show. Good day, Voyager, and welcome to A Briefing with Neelix. Catchy title, isn't it? Weekly Trek is a 30-minute news show covering the biggest stories from the Star Trek franchise. We are in a new golden age of Star Trek. There are five television shows in production, possibly more on the way, and enough merchandise to fill the Bajoran wormhole. So stick with me, and I'll help you sort the facts from a lot of the Dominion propaganda that you'll find online. But I can't do this alone, and my guest this week is Nina. Nina, welcome to Weekly Trek. Hi. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. I'm so excited. Oh, no, it is a thrill to have you. Nina, I ask my guests this every week. I want to know something that's got you feeling good about Star Trek at the moment. What's got you moving at Warp 10? There's always a million things that have me moving at Warp 10, but I think this particular day, it's fanfic. And the reason for that is a few days ago, I finally, I don't know what took me so long, I finally got an AO3 account. And for those of you who don't know, AO3 is Archive of Our Own, which is like the giant fanfic database. And um, you can write, you can read, you can interact. And I'd been puttering around accountlessly and anonymously and stalking various writers and stories for probably about two years. And finally, I just decided I'm going in. And so I got an account and that's got me hyped. It's something new. I feel like I'm getting into fandom. I'm immersing myself. I'm finally just going for it. And I want to spread that to everyone. Just be bold, like have fun, do what you want to do. Be be a part of things you want to be a part of. Don't be afraid to insert yourself in there because that's what I'm doing and kind of excited about it. Yeah, the importance of fan fiction in the Star Trek fan community cannot be understated. I mean, it's, it, it is the Star Trek was kept alive after the cancellation of the original series pretty much by a core group of fans who a big part of what they like to do was write fan fiction. I myself, I don't do it anymore, but I myself dabbled in fan fiction at one point in my life. I wrote an alternate history of the end of Deep Space Nine in which the Romulans destroy the Dominion and then conquer the Federation. And I was pretty proud of it if I do say so myself. So have you got any stories you're planning to write? Well, mostly I'm a reader, but the thing is I've like to write since exiting the womb. So I know that I'm going to at some point and I have an idea floating around for a Milvia fic, which is the Michael Tilly ship name. And I guess stay tuned. If you're, if you're a reader, you can look at that tag. I'm going to make my, I'm going to say it because I want to make sure I follow through with it. I really want to dabble in it and I have something percolating. So we'll see. So my pick this week is something I have been spent a lot of time thinking about over the last few days. If you are in any way connected to fandom of any shape or form, you will know that at Disneyland, they are opening Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Actually, it just opened a couple of days ago which is their new themed Star Wars land in which you are immersed into the universe of Star Wars. There's a ride in which you can ride the Millennium Falcon. All of the employees are in character as people from the Star Wars universe. And it's got me 
looking back wistfully on Star Trek The Experience, which was an attraction in Las Vegas at the then Las Vegas Hilton, which today, after I think three name changes, is now the Westgate, in which you it was the same thing for Star Trek. It opened in 1998. It's very sadly closed in 2008. And it was the most spectacular place you could imagine there was. Quark's Bar, it was a fully working bar and restaurant. You had the Promenade, which had shops on it. What must have been the largest Star Trek merchandise shop in the world because this thing was enormous and sold all kinds of merchandise. You had two rides, Star Trek The Next Generation Klingon Encounter, in which you were beamed on into the transporter room of the USS Enterprise, then led through to the bridge, at which point you were told that one of you was an ancestor of Captain Picard, and there were some Klingons trying to kill you, and so they had to get you back to Las Vegas in the 21st century, wherever you came from, and they put you on this motion simulator ride. And then Borg Invasion, which was a Voyager ride in which you got led through a bunch of corridors and the Borg are chasing you and there are Starfleet officers being assimilated. And then there's this, you're led into this big theater and it's this sort of 3D movie that also featured Admiral Janeway. It was a truly, truly fabulous attraction and it is such a great shame that it's now been gone for 11 years. Nina, I'm guessing you probably are a little young to have visited Star Trek The Experience, but would you like to see a Star Trek theme park of the style that they're open now at Disneyland for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge? Yes, I am definitely a little young. I'm 16 and I got into Star Trek when I was 14. And I would love that an unspeakable amount. I really like amusement parks. I really like rides. I love all that stuff. But a Star Trek themed one would get me there so fast. I love like immersive experiences, especially when they're Star Trek related. And I would try to indoctrinate as many of my friends as possible into Star Trek and then take them. It would be amazing. I hope that that happens because I think there's definitely an audience for that. And I am part of it. Totally. And fingers crossed with the announcement of the Star Trek franchise group a couple of weeks ago, one of the things on the list that the franchise group was meant to work on were sort of the kinds of attractions that sort of ape the old Star Trek the experience. But let me tell you, if you haven't had your dinner order insulted by a Klingon or gotten into a debate about the rules of acquisition with, I think there were three Ferengi who were circulating around the bar at the time that I was there, you truly haven't lived. So I hope that more fans will get that experience again in the future. All right. Well, with that, let's turn to the week's top stories. There's a war going on. and I'm a reporter. So our first story this week is a return to the Deep Space Nine documentary. There will be a week where we don't talk about the documentary, but it is not this week. We got new details on the home media release for the documentary this week. As we talked about on a previous episode, we are anticipating three versions of the Deep Space Nine documentary on DVD and Blu-ray. And we now have details about what separate those three releases from each other. So you have the standard release, which you can purchase on Amazon.com today if you want to, which includes an intro from Iris Stephen Bear, a brief history of Deep Space Nine, a bunch of deleted scenes, some video footage behind the scenes of the Variety photo shoot, which featured at the very beginning of the documentary, a discussion about the HD remaster, more of the fan testimonials and the theatrical trailer. So that's your standard release, the one you're going to get on Amazon. And Shout Factory also have their own exclusive, which you can only buy from Shout Factory's website. And unfortunately, you can only buy if you live in the United States. The Blu-ray is region locked, region A, and they don't ship internationally. 
That exclusive Shout Factory release also includes, in addition to what's on the standard release, a musical reunion with composers Dennis McCarthy and Kevin Kiner, who Dennis McCarthy obviously was one of the main composers for Deep Space Nine. They also scored the documentary as a whole. And then a 50-minute roundtable look back at the creation of the Deep Space Nine documentary. So those are the two publicly available versions. And the third version is what uh, the backers get. And the backers get everything on the standard release, they also get the musical reunion and they get a technical trivia track, which is sort of a text commentary throughout the documentary. They basically get everything except for the 50-minute full discussion on the Shout Factory exclusive about the making of the Deep Space Nine documentary. There is an excerpt from that discussion in the backer features, but that's the only one you're not getting. So backers get pretty much everything. If you needed to get the whole thing, you would probably also need to get the Shout Factory exclusive as well. But that now clarifies what's on all these discs, what everybody's getting. Nina, did you see the Deep Space Nine documentary when it came to theaters? I did not. And that's why this article was really interesting to me. I am on season four of DS9. And I had a dilemma because the documentary was coming to a theater near me. And I was like, I was thinking, do I go because I really want to show my support, give them all my money to encourage them to remaster DS9? and see it in a theater, have that experience, but also spoil probably a lot of the second half of the series that I have not seen? Or do I want to hold off, miss out on that theater experience, but not get spoiled and see it later? Ultimately, I decided to hold off and not get spoiled. So I have been following the news about the home releases and the Blu-ray releases, because that's what appeals to me. That's what I'm looking out for, because I am jumping on those sales as soon as they happen. And I think that the special release definitely is going to appeal to people like me who, um, for whatever reason, didn't see it in theaters, but are hardcore and want all that extra stuff. So I mean to be part of that 1500. Well, good. And then you definitely made the right choice because there are big spoilers for the show in the documentary and the way that the show ends. And it would be a really nice thing to watch after you watch the final episode. I'm glad I made the right decision. So grab that home media release and, when, and whenever you hit stop on what you leave behind, then you can pick up with what we left behind, which is the documentary. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to have like a home showing. I'm going to get popcorn. It's going to be the whole nine yards. All right. So turning away from the Deep Space Nine documentary to the Kelvin timeline, we had a very small, and I mean very small story about Star Trek for this week. The now, as far as we know, shelved release of the movie that was announced around the same time that Beyond came out in which Chris Hemsworth was going to reprise his role as George Kirk, and that was going to be helmed by S.J. Clarkson, and ultimately didn't go anywhere and seemed like the project had been shelved. In an interview with Variety this week, Chris Hemsworth talked just very briefly about Star Trek IV and said that basically he turned down the sequel because he was not sold on the script that he saw. He said, I didn't feel like we landed on a reason to revisit that yet. I didn't want to be underwhelmed by what I was going to bring to the table. Which isn't all that inconsistent from what we had heard about the movie. It definitely seemed like there was a significant degree of reticence by Hemsworth and by Chris Pine in doing a fourth movie 
what we had heard to date was that that had a lot to do with money. This interview seems to indicate that there was also some creative reasons too, though, you know, if it was money, it's not like Chris Hemsworth's going to say in an interview, they weren't willing to pay me enough, but continues to be disappointing that that's not moving ahead. I guess we don't know really what's happening with this Quentin Tarantino movie. Nina, do you think Star Trek Beyond is the last we will get of the Kelvin timeline, or do you think there's any more to come? I think that there will probably be more to come in the future. Just, it seems like the safe hunch if I had to make a bet one way or the other. But I honestly don't mind if we don't get a Star Trek for for another few years or for a long while, because I would much rather have a really good quality, well thought out Star Trek film a decade from now than a subpar and not fleshed out Star Trek film next year, you know? So I honestly don't mind right now with all these shows that are going to be coming at us. I think it's okay that Star Trek 4 is shelved. We have so much content that we're about to be pummeled with and we can just focus on that. So I think that if Chris Hemsworth turned it down for creative reasons and was like, I just don't think this is good enough to commit to, then I really respect that. Because if it's not the best that it can be, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, I think you're right. We have a lot of Star Trek coming and it's really hard to make a good Star Trek movie. Yeah, We've had yeah. 13 of them and charitably you could say that half of them are good. Yeah. Because Star Trek is a franchise that just works much better on television than it does for sure. cinema. And we have it back on television and we have it back on television in a huge way. And because it's so difficult to make a Star Trek movie that is A, good, and B, is kind of set up to be both a critical and a box office success, particularly given the evolution of cinema over the last kind of five, 10 years that has pushed more towards bigger and bigger and bigger spectacles and blockbusters, that it requires a lot of time and effort into thinking about what a Star Trek movie should be, and that just pumping something out isn't good enough, because we know that we only have about a 50% success rate when that happens. Exactly. I don't think there's any reason to force it. I don't think they should rush it. I think if the time comes, and the spark of creativity is there, and it all comes together, then we're going to accept it with open arms. But they definitely shouldn't turn it out just to turn it out. Well, something that will have an influence on a any future Star Trek movie will be the corporate future for CBS and Viacom, which owns the movie studio Paramount. So up until 2006, CBS and Viacom were one company. And in 2006, the two were separated. And as a result, CBS and Paramount Pictures were separated. And so was the Star Trek franchise. So as most people know, there are separate movie rights and TV rights, and CBS has the TV rights, and Paramount has the movie rights, and that's partially why we have the Kelvin timeline and the Prime timeline. Don't listen to any rubbish you hear about ultimate licenses and the original Star Trek not being able to be touched. It is as simple as I just laid out. Paramount makes movies, CBS makes television shows. There have been two previous efforts by the Redstone family, who own both CBS and Viacom to remerge the companies. In the era that we're in right now, neither company is really big enough to compete with the likes of 
Disney, with the likes of Netflix, who are making both television and they're making movies. I mean, Disney now owns every other movie studio under the sun and Paramount's struggling. So the more they can consolidate together, the more they can be competitive. And so according to a report from CNBC, there is a new effort underway to prepare the two companies for merger negotiations. The reason why it's not happened up to this point is because of CBS's former CEO, Les Moonves, who was fired last year because of sexual misconduct. And as a result of his ouster, it looks like there are positive signs for a remerger of the two companies ahead and a total reunification, to use a Star Trek term, of the Star Trek intellectual property and remerge TV and movies under one umbrella that would allow for movies to be made based on TV content. Like you could get a Discovery movie if CBS and Viacom were remerged. So, Nina, this is corporate politics, but it seems like it's corporate politics that actually has a big impact on the Star Trek franchise as a whole. What's your reaction? I mean, the whole reason behind these merging talks is not to unify Star Trek for us all. It's just because they want to get bigger. So that's not a selfless motive. But in my opinion, it doesn't matter if it gives us something good. I think that that's a really exciting prospect and I hope they do merge because I've read some articles about Star Trek-related projects being shelved due to legal battles and all that corporate friction, projects being put on hold. And that's sad that projects and creativity and ideas and new Star Trek coming at us might be halted in its tracks because of just all this business stuff. So I hope that they merge. And if Star Trek is all under the same roof, that just frees the entire franchise up creatively. I think, to take an idea and run with it and do whatever they want. Give us the Pike movie like we've all been demanding, you know? And maybe if they were to merge, it's a possibility that it would be more likely that we would get a Star Trek four. So I'm all for this. I hope it happens. It's been a long time coming. It has been a long time coming. And I think there's the track that says, yes, we should be very concerned about more corporate mergers and decreased competition between companies and growing monopolization and all that. Certainly true. But just from a Star Trek fan perspective, the separation of the IP has not been to the franchise's benefit. And I think getting everything back under one roof and then not being those kind of legal questions anymore and no more YouTube videos about CBS and Paramount and all that rubbish will be a happy, happy day indeed. So fingers crossed, CBS and Viacom, we are rooting for you. So our last story this week is a look at some new Eagle Moss starships. I have most of them, so this is always a thrill for me when we get to get, get a look at some new Eagle Moss ships that are coming down the pike. So thanks to a convention in London that Eagle Moss was appearing at, we got a really good look at some of the new ships that are coming out, including the XL Danube-class runabout, the XL USS Excelsior, the Discovery Klingon Raider, and the next 
special, which will be the Scimitar, the Romulan ship from Star Trek Nemesis. We also got a look at one of the models of a prototype concept for the USS Voyager called the USS Altair, which is a really wacky design if you've ever seen it. And two new announcements of ships in the regular line, the USS Melbourne, which is a Nebula-class ship that the only place you see it as as a model in Captain Sisko's office in Deep Space Nine, and the Grumal, which was the Cardassian freighter in the Deep Space Nine episode Return to Grace, which is in the fourth season, so may or may not be one that you have seen yet, Nina. Obviously, the, the Eagle Moss ships all look great. I think the XL Excelsior looks really good. I'm a bit disappointed with the runabout it doesn't have quite the level of detail that I think you would want from a large runabout model. It just kind of looks like a hefty piece of plastic. But the Scimitar has a huge amount of detail, looks absolutely gorgeous. And I'm super thrilled that they're doing the Cardassian freighter. Ben Robinson had said at one point that he thought that maybe they wouldn't. And so great to see it because I think it's a really cool design. Nina, do you own any of these ships or are there any that particularly catch your eye? I don't own any of them yet, which is really just because... I have so much stuff, not even Star Trek related, that I've been that I think I need to do a giant spring cleaning session before I buy anything. And that's why I've been stopping myself. But there is a local intergalactic imports in my mall, and I have been eyeing ships for a long time. So we'll see. Once I just clear stuff out and Marie Kondo up my entire existence, then I'm planning to spend all my money on these. But there were definitely a few that caught my eye on this page. I agree with you about the runabout. It's very boxy and bulky, kind of more like action-y and less architectural or artistic. That's the ship I would pick if I wanted to say to the world, I'm a nerd, you know, and then put that on my desk. I think that's (laughs) what I would go with. But I think the Excelsior looks so cool. It's like flat and sexy. It's got turquoise and blue and yellow lines. It's really colorful details and it would look fire on a desk. So I recommend that. I think the Klingon Raider is super cool. It looks, it's super eye-catching and threatening. It looks like an evil queen's throne or something. It's got these like gilded gold dragonfly wings that fan out all across the back. It's super cool. And I totally am on the same page with you on the scimitar because that one is cool. I hate Nemesis with the passion of a thousand fiery suns, but this model (laughs) almost redeems it for me. It's like, it's got this like meticulous texturing. It, It looks medieval, which I think is super awesome. And the symmetry, it looks like a bird mid-flight. And um, I don't think I would ever purchase it because anything Nemesis-related would just mess up the feng shui of my room. But I am super into it. And I don't know why I sort of went into like a whole artistic analysis of these, but I'm not done. I'll do the Altair too. It's cool that that's the concept for what became Voyager later. And I think that if anyone's looking for something unique, I would go for this one because it's not canon, like it wasn't televised. And so that makes it a a purchase that sticks out, I think. It's sharp, it's sleek, it's no nonsense. It looks mean, it looks like pointed. It will cut you like a needle. It's like, it's pointed at you. It looks like a stingray. So that's my take. 
if anybody wants me to analyze any more Star Trek models, I'm at Freckle Master on Twitter. Slide into my DMs. You know where. <laughs> yes, there are many things you can say about Star Trek Nemesis, and many people have. But that is a very pretty model, so I think it's one that I will have to pick up. And I totally hear you on the necessity of going all Marie Kondo on your belongings. I think that is something that uh, is probably long overdue in my household as well. All right, well, we have talked about the facts, and now let's turn to the fun part. You make some very good points, Captain. But it's still all speculation and theory. So each week, I and my guests provide a wish and or a theory about the future of the Star Trek franchise. So Nina, let me hear your wish or theory and theory for this week. I have three wishes, and the last one is also a theory. So the first wish is for the Nickelodeon show, the kids show, because I'm a little conflicted about it. And this is why I'm completely on board because if there's anything that can be out there shown to the youngins and indoctrinate them into this fandom, then that needs to be out there. But also I'm afraid that because they're making it specifically for a younger audience, that they're going to dumb it down a little bit. Star Trek has always appealed to kids and kids have always watched it. Like people who share their stories, Trekkies who share their stories are always like, yeah, I've been watching since I was like six, since I was nine, since I was 11. And they've been into it. And so even really mature, intellectual, sophisticated, complex Star Trek has appealed to younger people. But now that they're making Star Trek specifically for younger people, I'm afraid that they're going to try to turn down some of the cerebralness of it all. And my wish, though this is kind of not really a positive wish, more of a negative wish, you know, is that they they do not do that. I'm just throwing that out there into the universe. Please, please do not dumb it down. Keep it sophisticated so Gen Z can grow up to be intellectuals. That's my that's my first wish. My second wish is an absolutely ridiculous wish. I just threw in because I, I thought this was funny, you know. We all need a, a funny wish. I don't, I don't know. Wise quote. We all need a funny wish. Yeah. That's my Twitter bio now. <laughs> my funny wish. And I know that there's an audience for this is, you know, on YouTube, different channels will do these segments where they have celebrities on and the celebrities will read thirst tweets that were written about themselves. I need CBS to do a short trek that is entirely Anson Mount reading thirst tweets. <laughs> if, if anyone from CBS is listening, get on that ASAP. I don't know what you're doing sitting here listening to me, a random 16-year-old. You need to go and make that next on your agenda. We need, to, we need to see it. We need to have that. We will live on it. It will sustain us. And my third wish, which is also a theory because it's something I'm hoping for, but something I think will actually be fulfilled, is... In honor of Pride Month, I'm hoping for some really solid LGBTQ arcs in Discovery because we know we have some characters that are members of the community, but also in the Section 31 show because we know that Mir Giorgio is canon confirmed by or pan, that type of thing. I don't want to see any of the negative tropes associated with people of the community. I don't want to see any barrier gaze or any villainizing by women. I'm hoping that they take the characters that we love and give them really solid, good, healthy arcs 
really good representation. And I really think they're going to pull through on this. I think they're finding their feet and just show us some normal relationships like the Culber and Stamets brushing their teeth scene. I want them to be like, like the quote unquote regular relationship. And I think we're going to see it. So that's my hope that I'm projecting season three discovery. I know you're going to do it. So I just want in honor of Pride Month, some good arcs. And that is my wish slash theory. I'm yes to all three. Yes to making sure that the Nickelodeon show in whatever way they decide to set it up so that it appeals to a younger audience does not do it in a way that jettisons what will actually make the people who enjoy that show want to continue to watch other Star Trek, which is the exploration of themes and ideas and, uh, and some of the more kind of cerebral plot lines, as you mentioned. I'm totally down for an Anson Mount first short trek. I think that's a format that has uh, lots of things you could do with it. We're expecting an all-animated one directed by Michael Giacchino, so why not that too? And then, yeah, definitely to the third. Definitely, It felt like the Discovery Writers Room has done a lot of learning about how to write those two characters of Stamets and Culber. And as we move into season three and we have gotten beyond the sort of story that they've been telling over the first two seasons, it'd be really interesting to see what the next story is for them. And I agree with you. I hope it's something that doesn't potentially rest on so many problematic elements. Yeah. And, and for Reno too, because I think that she's a phenomenal character and one of my favorites and really great representation, but her wife died and that's tragic. I hope that we get some LGBTQ plus arcs in Star Trek that have nothing to do with tragedy. And I have complete faith that we're going to see it. So my theory is a short one, which is there's been a story blowing up on Twitter and Facebook this week from a website whose name I don't even remember. They posted a story that they later took down claiming that they had confirmed that Brent Spiner would be reprising his role of Data in Star Trek Picard. And my theory is, don't get your hopes up. First of all, who even knows who that website was? I'd never heard of them. No idea what their source was for that kind of claim. Clearly, they annoyed somebody because the story was later taken down and an apology was posted. But I've always felt like going all the way back to my very first episode of Weekly Trek in January where Jim Morehouse was on and he kind of laid odds for what he thought the odds were that the Next Generation stars would return. I think he had Brent Spiner probably right near the bottom of the list. And and I do too, because... Brent has expressed no interest in getting back into the makeup and it would just be, I don't know. I I think it's really unlikely. I think of all of the people that it possibly could be, some of the other actors are much, much higher on the list than Spiner would be. Now, don't get me wrong. I would absolutely love to see Brent Spiner playing Data or some version of Data in Star Trek Picard. I would absolutely love that. I would be thrilled to bits if I'm wrong, but I don't think, he will be in the show and i that's what i'm prepared for yeah in the same way that like i want to be wrong but that's what i'm prepared for and i think it would probably be wise for everybody listening to this to also be the same way and not get their hopes too much about a data appearance in star trek cards nina what do you think yeah i completely agree with that i'm surprised to hear that 
that article was even out because honestly, like Brent is probably the least likely, I feel like of all the possible appearances that could be made. I mean, he was partially responsible for essentially the writing out of his character in the movie of which we do not speak (laughs) because he was afraid that he didn't like the idea of data aging. um, And so he thought, let's just kill him. Because he didn't want Data to look like he was aging as the actor was aging because Data wouldn't do that. Now, I feel like that that could be corrected so easily with just one throwaway line about like, oh, yeah, I have like a an aging sub processing whatever program thing. You know what I mean? But Brent was against that. So I really think that a Data cameo is definitely near the bottom of the list. But I also feel like anyone taking any of the actors who are saying that they have not been approached at their word should think twice because actors lie for a living. They're probably flat (laughs) out lying to us right now. Like, what are they going to say? Yeah, we're going to be on. Like, they can't spoil that. So I think any actors who are like, yeah, we haven't been approached. I completely call BS on that. I mean, they're no sure things, but I think we're pretty likely to get some characters showing up. Not data though. My guess is, since we've now got our first teaser trailer, my guess is if there are any next generation stars who are also appearing with Patrick Stewart, the next most likely point where we would find that out, unless they want to keep it under wraps until the moment that they appear on screen will be San Diego Comic-Con coming up in July. Perfect opportunity, big media presence. Presumably they will also have a full trailer there to show. And it's two weeks before Star Trek Las Vegas and, you know, what a fabulous kind of lead into that big fan event to make some kind of announcement like that. So we'll be watching for San Diego Comic-Con to see if they make any announcements like that. Do you have a theory or wish for discovery or the future of the franchise that you'd like to share? Tweet them to me at Weekly Trek and I might feature your theory in a future episode. Well, that's all the time we've got for this episode of Weekly Trek. Thank you so much to my guest, Nina, for joining me today. Nina, how can people contact you if they want to continue the conversation? People can contact me and join me in my ranting on Twitter at Frecklemaster. I usually um, live tweet Discovery as it as it's on in a segment I have come to call overdramatic live tweeting TM. Um, but since that's kind of on its off season, I putter around, say random Trek related things. Right now I'm in the middle, literally in the middle of watching Into Darkness for the first time and tweeting some of my thoughts about that. So if you want to see my thoughts, I don't know why you would, but if you do, follow me at Frecklemaster. And if there are any like ratchet, emo, angst, Lord, Gen Z, millennial, Listeners right now, follow me on Tumblr at Michael Burnham's Left Earlobe. Very cool. And yes, Into Darkness is quite an experience. So you have a whole lot of movie left ahead of you. And I won't keep you from it any longer. You can find this show on Twitter at Weekly Trek and me at Alexander T. Perry. And if you enjoy the show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on your podcast player of choice. And please check out some of the other great shows on the Tricorder Transmissions. And if you like our shows, please also consider becoming a Patreon of Tricorder, which you can find at patreon.com slash the Tricorder Transmissions. And lastly, if you're looking for Star Trek news on the internet, I hope you will turn to trekcore.com. Well, thank you, Nina. Thank you to all my listeners. And until next week, live long and prosper. 